Hey, welcome back into another edition of First Draft. Something different and fun today. It is officially the day that my rankings have dropped on ESPN.com. I'm Field Yates, joined by Jordan Reed. Uh, Matt Miller, not with us this time. He's coming back soon. But Jordan, the moment that you've been waiting for, for so long, I'm sure. Let's to go. rip my rankings apart <laughs> has finally arrived. I mean, when you think about the things that you're thankful for this time of the year, as we're coming off of Thanksgiving, of course, a great week, this has to be the thing you're most thankful for, right? Oh, I was looking forward to it. As I was eating the turkey, I was eating the stuffing and the dressing. Yeah. I was looking forward to your rankings, of course, to rip them apart. Okay, you have your two <laughs> wonderful daughters, your your wife, yeah. and nothing gives you more joy than the opportunity to talk rankings here uh, with me. So for those that haven't seen them, it's available right now on ESPN.com uh, in full. It's five players by position. Uh, you've got everything from quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, fullbacks, uh, three fullbacks, excuse me. We're going to go a little lighter there. Offensive linemen, you guys know the full gamut. It is all available right now on ESPN.com. Uh, and Jordan, before, before we actually dive into it, I just wanted to say quickly, and this is not to say that if you disagree with my take, I am looking for the excuse or the out card here. I am just mentioning to people, as a reminder, these rankings are fluid. They're dynamic, right? Uh, in the cases of some players uh, who play on teams that are not bowl eligible, their seasons are over. There's no more college film left for them to put on tape. In the case of many of the players that are at the top of the draft board, there is at least one more game, whether it's a conference championship game, a bowl game, maybe one or two playoff games. Plus, we have the whole postseason process. You've got the all-star games. You've got the combine, pro days, everything in between. So what you see now is not going to hold all the way through until April, but it's a good starting point here, Jordan. So what I decided to do was hand you my rankings in advance of America and let you sort of figure out some players that came to mind for one reason or another. And it's only natural for us to start at quarterback. So you, the former quarterback, get to grill me and what stood out on my one through five quarterback rankings that read as such? Caleb Williams, Drake May, Shador Sanders, Jaden Daniels from LSU, and J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. That four and five spot, Jaden Daniels as well as J.J. McCarthy. We have some more film now on J.J. Everybody was looking forward to the Penn State game, of course. We know what happened in that. And then the big game against Ohio State. Um, so what kind of differentiated that tier for you between Jaden Daniels, of course, Shador, Shador at three? We don't know what his decision is going to be. And then J.J. at five. Yeah, I almost wonder if like I thought about not including Shador because there just seems to be so much momentum towards him returning to Colorado for at least one more for another season, I should say, Jordan. But here is where I settled with Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy. And you can ask our editors this. This was the only change in terms of prospect rankings that I made from the time that I submitted the file until the time that it went live online. I said, can you please flip Jaden Daniels with J.J. McCarthy? And here's the thought process behind it. Jaden Daniels, who I hope is invited to New York City to be one of the Heisman finalists. I don't have a vote. If I did, he'd certainly be at the top or very close to the top of my ballot. Has done as much as one possibly can during the course of this season to improve his draft stock. We've all talked about how for a guy who's got a lot of experience, He's actually gotten a lot better this year than he had in his prior seasons. And they have certainly tons of weapons down there at LSU. But the dynamic playmaking, which they've really needed, Jordan, because of how bad their defense has been, is indisputable. With J.J. McCarthy, and this is not his fault, he has played perfectly well within the system that Michigan has. And because they're so suffocating on defense, the number one defense in the country, 
they haven't needed a bunch of blockbuster offensive days. So where I decided was this. Based off what I've seen this year, Jaden Daniels has put on more impressive, consistent film than J.J. McCarthy, who in those two big games against Ohio State and Penn State did enough to help them win, no doubt about that. Penn State, it was a total of seven completions. And then in Ohio State, it was not entirely, but a lot of the Blake Corum show. So I feel like J.J. McCarthy, with the real shot in my estimation, to have three more college games, first Iowa and the Big Ten Championship game, and then I think they'll be you know, certainly one of the, uh, the top two teams in the college football playoff if they win this upcoming Saturday. There's a real chance he's playing three more games, two of which would be against top-tier opponents, that J.J. McCarthy could easily, easily be quarterback three by the next time my rankings are updated, if we know that Shador Sanders is out. Uh, it's just the traits that I love for J.J., the sincere ball placement, the mobility that we did see against Ohio State, you know, moving on the run, not just as a runner, but also as a thrower, orchestrating an offense magnificently. We just haven't seen as much of it against high-level opponents as we have seen from Jaden Daniels. Yeah, this, this J.J. McCarthy situation is fascinating to me because we're both hearing the same things. People like him in the first round. Some people more so like him on day two. And he's quarterback five for me currently as well. And I went ahead and made the switch with Jaden Daniels flipping those two guys as well. So we see it very similarly. But I think with J.J. having potentially more games down the back stretch of the year, assuming they go into the college football playoff, I think that may push him over Jaden Daniels for some people. It's just interesting to me that he's going to have more games to essentially prove himself, especially in the college football playoff where he did not play well at all last year. So right. if let's say he plays well in the college football playoff, they let him throw the ball 25, 30 times a game. Would you end up leapfrog? Would he end up leapfrogging Jaden Daniels just because he's going to play more games? I think he has the best chance to move up the board of maybe any player in the entire draft, but certainly amongst the quarterbacks for the remainder of this college football season. Because if Michigan, and I expect them to, sorry to our Iowa fan listeners, hold serve pretty handily on Saturday, and it might be the same formula that's worked for them for much of this year, just bludgeon teams, right? Uh, But if they play, you know, whether it's, if they play Oklahoma or Texas, or if they play Washington, and if they play Washington, that might be the game that could really start the momentum. Because you're not beating Washington 16-13, right? If you're beating Washington, it's because you're hanging 35. I know that, you know, Wazoo gave Washington all it could handle, and it's been a little bit of a tougher go offensively in relative terms for Washington. But whether it's Washington or whether it's Oregon, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida State, whoever it is, you're probably going to have to hang some serious offensive output on those teams. And then with J.J., the other thing is that I know that uh, this is an unfair thing because it's not his choice who he plays with, but the questions that J.J. is going to have the chance to answer is, what does it look like when there's not, you know, close to an entirely draftable offensive line around him? Maybe a top three running back in the country behind him. You know, a draftable wide receiver in Roman Wilson. I mean, it's just littered with NFL talent in Michigan that it's not his fault that he's just doing his job within the system and they're playing and succeeding the way that they are. But if Michigan needs him more than it has needed him up to this point of the season against one of those high-flying teams, J.J.'s got the chance to really put his stamp down as potentially QB3 in this class. And you and I both know this, Jordan. I don't care where we have them ranked on our big board. QB3 is going higher than people expect. It's just, you know, except for the 2022 draft, the Kenny Pickett-Malik Willis draft, quarterbacks go a whole lot higher than people expect. 
It, it happens. I mean, it happens every single year, but I love Jaden Daniels, man. Like just watching this film, he just continuously gets better and better every single week. And I get it. The frame is slight. Yeah. He had some some problems at Arizona State as far as like um on the field and seeing the field cleanly and pocket patience and things like that. But he's playing at a supremely high level right now. And his evaluation is just so clean to me this year. So he's he's my quarterback three. Like even if Shador does come out, I like Jaden Daniels even better. Like I like him that much. And I've kind of turned the page already. Yeah. On um, Shador Sanders, I just don't see him coming out this year. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jaden Daniels. He's my quarterback three. And especially with Colorado's season being over, they're not bowl eligible. Oftentimes when a team is bowl eligible, excuse me, not bowl eligible, you kind of know what the guy's plans are, right? I mean, they've had multiple players who have announced their, or at least one I can recall, that have announced their, their transfer portal, right, like uh, intentions, which obviously it's a busy time for that across the country. But you're starting to see that with the non-bowl eligible teams. Um, so maybe we'll get a word on Shador one way or the other. You know, Jaden, the stuff that stands out, though, for those that aren't as familiar, like, you know, of the quarterbacks that we're talking about, he's the best dual threat runner, right? I mean, uh, no one's going to be Lamar Jackson coming out of the draft, uh, but this is the closest thing to microwavable offense as a runner and a thrower in the NFL, in the draft. I mean, he's so, so dynamic. You mentioned he's slight, but... He doesn't take a ton of huge hits right now as an open field runner, right? He's got good vision and instincts to sort of avoid the massive collisions that would leave him susceptible. And I think the best part about him, you mentioned sort of the pocket patience being a problem in the past, is that there's a really fine line for these guys that are very athletic and knowing when to A, break the pocket, B, hang tight, and C, hang tight but not hang tight too long, right? And we've heard about... You know, quarterback, a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who took a lot of sacks, sometimes of his own doing, right? Because he tries too hard to make the play last. I feel like Jaden's really mastered that this year. Is like, when is it time to break free? And when is it time to stand tall in the pocket and just let it rip? And when you've got, you know, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas as your wide receivers at the top, uh, and from what I hear, they just grow them on trees in LSU. They've got more coming, yeah. by the way, in the freshman <laughs> class. When you've got five stars left and right, I don't blame you for letting it rip. Um, anything else on quarterback that stood out? I feel like at this point, Jordan, like whether they're the same order or not, like those five are, are kind of the names that you're hearing the most, but there's some pretty good depth here. Like it hurt to not have Bo Nix in that top five because as far as doing what you've been asked to do this year, I don't know that anybody has done as much as Bo Nix could do. The touchdown interception ratio is off the charts, and that Oregon offense is sizzling, not just because of Bo Nix, but certainly with him as the primary driver. Yeah, he, Bo Nix is one of those guys of where you don't really appreciate his game until you actually sit down and study him just because his decision-making is so good. He's pinpoint accurate, and even though the Oregon offense is more east-west oriented, he does take some deep shots down the field. Him and Troy Franklin, they've developed yeah. a really good chemistry, and Franklin's going to be one of the top receivers in this draft class too, but Bo Nix's game is just it's just so mature. And if yeah. you would have told me this was the same guy that was at Auburn, I would have laughed at you. Like, yeah. I, he's a completely different player, similar to Jaden Daniels, but the transfer portal has really helped him. But one name I do want to mention, I don't think we see him this year at all, is Carson Beck at Georgia. Yeah. I've been blown away by his film. The sample size is small, only 10 starts to his credit so far. But his film is really, really good. Like I said, I don't think we see him this year. But if he does come out this year, don't be surprised if he's a name that definitely does rise. The film is really, really good with Bet. Yeah, he certainly has. I mean, made a major mark this year. And I'm with you, though. Like, And again, you don't know these things. are. You know, you have to be careful in saying anything definitively. But the vibes, if those matter, have been that he is likely to return for one more season, at least in Georgia. Let's go to running back. And I think there's 
this is probably the position where you're going to see the most names thrown around as top five players. Mine were as follows. Marshawn Lloyd from USC, Blake Corum from Michigan, Jonathan Brooks from Texas, who was my number one back, Jordan, until he tore his ACL just a couple of weeks ago. Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, and then Travion Henderson from Ohio State. What stood out to you there? This is the position group that I've went back and forth the most outside of linebacker, linebacker and running back. I'm about to pull my hair out trying to organize, yeah, seriously, trying to organize these guys. And I've went back and forth as far as who my top guy is, but I kind of went safe. I went Travion Henderson is my running back one, and I see he's your running back five. So is it more so just injuries that you're really concerned about with him? I would say for Travion, it's probably a couple things here. Is that like I'll sort of take these guys one by one ahead of him, right? Uh, Jonathan Brooks, I just thought was as complete as any back in the entire country uh, prior to the injury at Texas. So so good as a receiver on top of being like a really decisive runner, but also like has this sort of like uh, unique ability to be north south when he needs to be north south, but also has some lateral agility that allowed him to make players miss, uh, defenders miss in the hole. Uh, Blake Corum, I actually do think has the best lateral agility. Like, I'm not sure anybody breaks tackles more uh, with like in the running lanes than 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 Blake Corum, or makes defenders miss more than Blake Corum. He's just so so shifty, and I get it. It's a great offensive line. He's playing behind, and I get it that uh, I think that uh, Fox flashed the stat uh, on Saturday during the game. 19 of his first 20 rushing touchdowns were from within five yards this season. Yeah. <laughs> but he did have that breakaway run against Ohio State, and uh, the intangibles are off the chart for Blake Corum. Uh, Brooks, I just mentioned. Marshawn Lloyd, who I, I should have started with there at USC, uh, transferred from South Carolina, who violent but decisive runner. Like, he's got this ability to, like some runners, runners just want to always hit the home run. He's got this ability to, like, add a little bit of width to the run when he needs to to try to gain a few extra yards without just running right to the sideline and risking a negative yard. He turns a lot of plays into positive yards. And uh, I don't know that anybody is Isaiah Pacheco in this year's class in terms of just how physical and violent they run, but he runs pretty angry, does Marshawn Lloyd out there at USC. And then Braylon Allen, I mean, uh, is there a worse fit for a player than Braylon Allen right now playing in that Wisconsin offense? Uh, For those who haven't watched much Wisconsin this year, they have become like what a lot of college football is, right? They... Spread things out. Mm-hmm. Quarterback plays almost exclusively from shotgun. But Braylon Allen is a—he's an eye back, right? He's mm-hmm. like the other Wisconsin running backs that you most remember, right? He is kind of like Jonathan Taylor in some ways. He's a power back. He's not going to do a lot of uh, you know left right. He's not going to do a lot of east west running. He just wants to take the football between the tackles you, and just you know what he reminds me of. Give it to he me. reminds me of AJ Dillon. Yeah, who's coming out of Boston College. He's sure. very similar to AJ Dillon and. We talk about scheme-specific runners a lot. I think his landing spot is going to make or break his career initially. Totally. Now, two landing spots I love, Tennessee and Dallas. I think he'll yeah, be great in both of those systems. We know Derrick Henry is probably not going to be back next year. Um, and then Cow- the Cowboys, they need that 1A type of runner to pair with Tony Pollard. So I just think landing spot is going to be so crucial to him and so vital. Now, he's not going to give you a whole bunch in the passing game. Wisconsin has tried to incorporate him in the passing game, but – He's just not a receiving back. That's not really his game. You yeah. want him shoulder square to the line of scrimmage and, ju- and just let him be a sledgehammer. Like, that's what his game is. That's why he was so good his first two years. And, you know, he has good numbers this year, but running out of shotgun really ain't his thing. So if he can get an offense that just lets him run from the eye formation, like you said, seven yards deep, and just use him as a sledgehammer, I think he can be one of the better rookie runners. But he's just not going to give you a whole bunch in the passing game. That's always going to be the big thing or one of the biggest negatives on this scouting report. 
Yeah, so to bring things back to Travion, by the way, I agree with what you said there on Braylon, is uh, Travion also we didn't see, we haven't seen a lot in the passing game other than like the occasional dump off or screen, right? So uh, the question for a lot of these guys is going to be how much do you see them in like designed, we dial this up for you, passing game opportunities? Um, I think that's actually, I think that's a developmental skill. Like I think we've seen that uh, the second time I've referenced him just in this conversation but like I think Isaiah Pacheco's come a long way as a receiver in a hurry for the Chiefs uh but we just haven't seen a ton of that with Travion who did have the injuries earlier this season and um occasionally has like a bit of a robotic feel to him as a runner but I mean the guy rarely uh does not get what is blocked for him he is a decisive and powerful guy for a dude who not real big in terms of height but has sort of a boxy build to him um I don't think any of these guys is a top Probably 40 player on my board right now, Jordan. I mean, maybe if Jonathan Brooks was fully healthy, I'd feel differently. But I'd be surprised if any of these backs ends up going in the first round, in part because we're going to have a bunch of wide receivers. And this was my favorite part, my favorite position to grade in this year's class and take a look at Marvin Harrison, number one, Keon Coleman at Florida State. Number two, Malik Neighbors. Number three, Roma Dunze. Number four, Lab McConkey. Number five. You might have about 10 questions at this position group, Jordan. What's it out the most, though? (laughs) Two, three, four. We're going to talk about it all the way up to the draft, right? It's, that what do you that want? tier under, right, that tier under Marvin Harrison Jr. is really fascinating to me, and it really just depends on what type of receiver that you like. And they're all different. Keon Coleman is that big body wide receiver that can go up and get the ball, can climb the ladder. Tremendous um, go up and get it type of receiver. He's dominant at the catch point. Neighbors is your more explosive type of player that you can use all over. And then Romo Dunze is that polished, just everything he does is just so well-rounded with this game. So what kind of helped you or what kind of helped you land with Keon Coleman at that number two spot as opposed to the other two? So I think in the NFL in general, the league is going to default towards bigger, faster, stronger when it's close for guys, right? Um, so I am making my own rankings because this is if I were an NFL GM, which of course I am not. Um, but I also am mindful of the idea of trying to be. I'm trying to be mindful of how the NFL will see these players as well. Uh, so for Keon Coleman, what I can't do is place him in the offense that Malik Neighbors or Romadunze plays in. But I do wonder what he would look like in a different offense. Not that Jordan Travis was not incredible this season. I mean, he was so great, and such a bummer to see him. Uh, no longer able to play because of the injury recently suffered. But Washington, I mean, it's like Roma Dunze walks out of bed. Like he walks onto the field and it's like five catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown is pretty much a guarantee. Malik Neighbors, same deal. Uh, we only we only have 46 catches so far for Keon Coleman, and 11 of them are gone for touchdowns. That's, a, like, yeah. that's almost 25%. Like, that's astonishing. Um, I don't think any player's highlight reel is going to be better this year than Keon Coleman's. Like, if you went to YouTube and just watched these guys in terms of YouTube scouting clips, you mentioned it, like, climbing the ladder, the consistent ability to win 50-50 balls. But I know this is going to sound super ridiculous and, and, and just, like, too reductive to describe wide receivers, but um, the primary job of the wide receiver is two things. Get open and catch the football. And where Keon Coleman is so unique is despite the fact that he's six foot four and 220 or so pounds is that he's not only winning in contested catch situations. He's generating consistent separation. And it's not just like reaching the top of his route and pushing off of a defender with this forearm and creating separation borderline illegally, right? I mean, the foot quickness is off the charts and uh, I don't want to do this. I, I hate to make this sound 
um, unkind to the other player, but Florida State's got another receiver, Johnny Wilson, who's six foot seven and probably you know two hundred and some pounds. And Johnny, I think, will end up you know help find his way into the NFL, whether it's a later round pick or whatever it ends up being. And when you watch him and Keon run routes at the same time on the same side of the field, Jordan, it's like you see how different the speed is yeah. for Keon Coleman. So that's why I landed on number two for him. And Malik Neighbors, uh, one of my favorite players to study in the entire draft. But it felt really, really nasty to not have Roma Dunze as wide receiver two or wide receiver three. I think that uh, you mentioned, you kind of mentioned how each one of them is different and unique. Like, Roma Dunze feels like the most well-rounded. He's like kind of in the middle, right? Like, the best combination of size, speed, route running, instincts. Uh, his chemistry with Michael Penix is off the charts. And that's a Michael Penix thing, but I also think it's a Roma Dunze football IQ thing, right? Like, he is just consistently in the right spot and just knows how to win a man coverage down the field, not down the field. He is so, so good at everything. Runs routes in his sleep. The guy's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And Malik Neighbors, though, I just have this soft spot for a guy who just glides. To I know you've made the DJ Moore comparison. I've seen the Stephon Diggs comparison myself. It's that, you know, he's not the biggest guy by any stretch. But, man, this dude, I, I mean, this joker against Alabama is getting open on every play, it feels like. And Alabama's got, you know, two likely, you know, definitely drafted cornerbacks, maybe two first-round picks, maybe the top 20 picks with Terrion Arnold and also Kool-Aid McKinstry. And it's like, he's open every play. You know, one of the yeah. first plays of the game, he's 60-yard bomb with nobody within 20 feet of him. And uh, just the consistent ability to get open. I don't know that anybody that I've studied so far – sees soft bots in zones quite like Malik Neighbors does. He just knows exactly where he has to be, exactly where he has to settle. And once he does, his run after catch is awesome as well. For a guy that's not, he's not yoked up. He just runs right past guys. It sounds like you're falling in love with neighbors on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it is. I mean, there's, but uh, as, I, as I keep talking to people around the league, telling people sort of like where I met on guys, what I keep, I, I come back to this conclusion though. My big board's not done yet, but I've started working on my yeah. big board. I think my first top 25 is going to come out uh, at some point in early January, Jordan. All four of those guys be in the top 15. Right? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, you're, you're splitting hairs here, right? Like, the difference between my third and fourth offensive tackle might be like, you know, seven, eight, nine spots in the overall big board. It might mm-hmm. be like this. It might be Marvin might be, you know, one, two, three, four in the big board. You might have, in some order, Right now, it's Keon Coleman uh, and then Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunza. It might be seven, eight, nine on the big board. I mean, that's how close it is between these guys. I'm not trying to like take myself uh, off the hook in terms of ranking them. You have to, uh, but I have landed on Keon Coleman for right now with those two guys very much nipping on his heels. Uh, let's go from wide receiver, though. We can talk about this for the entire time here to uh, tight end. I'm sorry, not tight end because... I don't think anything really stands out at tight end. It's a fairly, I would say, vanilla position right now. Yeah. A lot of people agree it's Brock Bowers and the rest. But beyond wide receiver, the probably the deepest position in the class is offensive tackle. So I'll read my five in order, uh, and you tell me what stood out. Olu Fashanu, Penn State, Joe Alt, Notre Dame, J.C. Latham, right tackle from Alabama, Jordan Morgan, a left tackle from Arizona, and Amarius Mims, big Amarius Mims, the right tackle from Georgia. What piques your interest there? Got to push Mims up, man. Man, it's is, hard not to. He's, he's coming on he the go, free train, huh? If he goes out and dominates against Alabama, I wouldn't su- be surprised if he's a top ten pick, and he's the third tackle off of the yeah. board. I I think he's that supremely gifted. Like just watching his tape against Georgia Tech this past week, yeah. you'd have never guessed that he had surgery three weeks yeah. ago. Like he right. he was that good, and he's every bit of six seven, three hundred and forty pounds, and he's not the athlete that Olu is, but I think They're his upside close. is even more. I think his upside is even more than Joe Alt, and Joe Alt yeah. is kind of that high floor. 
guy that, you know, I compared him to Jake Matthews. Like he's very similar to Jake Matthews, a guy mm. that you can just plug and play on the left side for 10 years and not worry about it. But yeah. with Mims, I think he can reach that upper tier of offensive tackles in the NFL just because of the athleticism. And you got to think, this guy hasn't even started a full season yet. And his first his first action was the last two games in the college football playoff. He goes out, he plays the first three games of the year, and I think he misses um, five or six games or so with a tightrope surgery, and then he comes back like nothing ever happened. So, I mean, he, he's probably going to end up being in my top 12 when my big board comes out, and he's my offensive tackle three behind Olu and um, and uh, behind Olu and Joe Alt, excuse me. But Jordan Morgan, he's one that has really piqued my interest as well. Why'd you have him at four? Just curious. Uh, so just a, a one quick uh, Amarius Mims retort. He's a J.J. McCarthy of offensive lineman, right? Like yeah. he's got the most to gain over the next, uh, again, I think, I also think Georgia will be playing at least three more games, or will be playing three more games this year. I think it could be a, a Michigan-Georgia uh, college football national championship. Um, Jordan Morgan, I'm so impressed by the way that this guy's come back from an ACL tear. Uh, towards ACL late last season, and you would have thought, you know what? Is he even going to be himself at the beginning of the year? And he And it looked exactly himself from the beginning of the season for this unbelievable turnaround season for Arizona. Uh, They absolutely love getting Jordan Morgan out in space. They run a ton of wide receiver screens where Jordan Morgan is out there hitting somebody in the second or third level, Jordan, which speaks to a handful of things. He's got really good athletic ability. He's got really good body control and like discipline, right? It's easy for these big guys to get out there in space and just throw their body around like they're a battering ram. He does it with control and discipline. That's hard to do for a man of his size a ton of experience. He's seen some big game competition this year. And I think for the most part, held his own against guys that, you know, certainly in, you know, you've got, you've got a handful of, uh, of Pac-12 rushers that will be drafted in the top 50 or 60 picks. In the case of a couple of them, they'll be first round picks at least. And more than held his own, I think he just does everything well. Good athleticism, really good feet to, to be reactive as a sort of a match and mirror offensive tackle when he is dropping back to pass. Um, it's kind of a lost art in college football because so many of these teams are, as we talked about earlier, it's like so many of them just play in shotgun that like not too many offensive tackles are getting, you know, 12 to 15 reps a game where they're having to actually pass sets and, you know, getting like a hard rush from the edge. But I've seen enough of that from him that he can really match and mirror. And I think he's a day one starter at a, at a really important spot, uh, which is also going to be part of the calculation for him versus a Marius Mims is that one's a left tackle, one's a right tackle. And that's the that's kind of the weird thing about this offensive tackle class. You have your two left tackles at the top, and then there's a mixture of one left tackle and then a bunch of right tackles. Talise Fuaga from Oregon State is another yeah. name. Um, some others in this tackle class, of course. Um, we already talked about Amarius Mims was a right tackle. Jordan Morgan plays a mixture. But Morgan reminds me a lot of Elijah Vera Tucker when he was coming out of USC. And, and if you remember, he played some guard, he played some tackle, and there were some questions of whether he was a guard or a tackle. And I think that's something you're going to hear about Jordan Morgan. We'll see how he does at the senior bowl. It's going to be really big for him. But I, I'm with you. Like I think he can play guard. He can play tackle. I would let him try tackle first just Me because too. it's such Why a premium position. Yeah. You want to let them fail at tackle. I've always – everybody asks, is he a guard or is he a tackle when we're talking about offensive line prospects? I'm always going to let a guy fail at tackle first just because it's such a premium position. And then I'm going to try to kick him inside just because tackle is such a premium position. But when you find that guy and he ends up being that answer at the position, now you're really happy about that. But if he doesn't hold up at tackle, let's say, I think he could slide him in at guard and I think it could be just fine. Yeah, let's rip through a couple more spots there. I do think Jordan Morgan, though, is a left tackle. I feel pretty confident in that one, at least to start. 
Uh, let's talk uh, edge rushers right now. And uh, there are five on the list. Dallas Turner from Alabama, my highest-rated defensive prospect in the entire class. Layatu Latu from UCLA. Chop Robinson from Penn State. Jared Verse from Florida State. And the guy I love, Braylon Trice, who's sort of like the Mr. Dirty Work, just gets the job done. What sticks out there to you? Um, Chop Robinson over Verse. No. We definitely we definitely have to talk about that. I'm a big Chop guy, but I have yep. Verse still ahead of him. Does mm. the weight concern you with Chop? I know they no list doubt. him at 250, no but doubt. I would be surprised it, if he he's weighs 250, that. 250, soaking wet, wearing a 20-pound weight vest is what he is. <laughs> um, he's going to be one of those players that's going to have more divisive opinions than uh, most in the class. So the, the, the positives for those that uh, haven't seen Chop Robinson play is he's the twitchiest athlete of any of these edge rushers. His get-off is elite. We're talking about a guy who knows the count better than the offensive tackles that he is lining up against. Nobody can bend the edge like Chop Robinson. The downside is that, as you mentioned, he's thin, right? You know, like... The downside for a player like this, and not to make a you know, is is not to always just like go to the the worst case scenario, but like you have a guy like Aaron Curry, right? The former Wake Forest star goes whatever top five overall, and just like the the frame just doesn't allow him to become elite. Um, Chop Robinson is going to have to answer to that. He's also going to have to answer to the fact that three and a half sacks this season, uh, two of which came against Penn State. I'm sorry, against UMass. He plays for Penn State, of course. So it, this is a traits-based evaluation, is that I am grading Chop Robinson on like the highest percentile. Like what is the best possible outcome for him? And that's a guy who has Josh Sweat's, uh, he's, he's not quite as big as Hassan Reddick, but like that kind of pure pass rusher gets to rush the passer a ton and consistently churn out 10 to 12 sacks per season type of player. Uh, Jared Verse, I mean, he's much safer player, right? I mean, long-levered, uh, so powerful in line, uh, so experienced now. I don't think nearly as explosive as Chop Robinson coming off the edge. Chop's got a little bit more of an arsenal of pass rush moves than Jared Verse. Verse is going to be 23 when the draft takes place. Somebody will one day explain to me how Jared Verse not only went so under-recruited that he ended up at Albany, but also that he had to redshirt at Albany his true freshman year. Yeah. Uh, but I do love I mean, Jared Verse has answered the call in big games this year for Florida State, starting with that opening week win over LSU. I mean, I think you're spot on as far as with Chop. He's super explosive. That second half against, I believe it was Iowa, of where yeah. he just took over. That was against one of the good best games line. I've seen. Yeah, against yeah. a very good offensive line. The, the thing that worries me about Chop is we've seen these types in the past go in the first round, and Calevon Chason is one name that comes to mind. Now, yeah. I think that's a low-end comp for him. High-end comp, I don't really have a name that I like, but obviously you want him to be better than what Chason has been. Um, but it just – the defenders that we've seen at this size that really their game predicates around explosiveness and their sack artists, what you want to do with them is that – they have to go to a team that has a rotation of rushers just because you want them to kind of be like a relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. What happened with Jacksonville and Chason is that he had to go in. He had to be a starter. You don't want him to be that just because he's winded and he's not really able to roll out his fa- fastball all the time, which is his pass rush prowess. So I think the key for Chop is that he goes somewhere that has some experienced rushers that rotate a lot. Um, but, I mean, I like Chop. I just have some concerns as far as 
landing spot. We won't know that landing spot until the draft. I just think he has to go to a great situation that really can use him as what I like to call a DPR, a designated pass rusher, just because that's his fastball. You don't totally. want him defending run, defending a run. I think he's a fine run defender, but you don't yeah. want him doing that consistently. You want this dude getting up the field right now, whether it's on third down or those NASCAR packages that I like to call it, or where they just get all the fast guys on the field just because he's so explosive. And that's what Penn State has. Adisa yeah. Isaac is another name. Um, that'll probably go second, third round. That's a really good player, but you want Chop being paired with that big base end edge rusher, but you want him coming in third. You want him coming in the game on third downs primarily early on in his career, yeah. and then you just kind of slow feed him more reps as his, as his career continues on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you were, the high end outcome. Like I mentioned, the name Josh Sweat. Who I, I, I want people yeah. to like say that like respectfully. Like that's a, that's a big time player right there, Josh. Yeah, Sweat. absolutely. And now he he is benefiting from, as you mentioned, he plays in a rotation, right? Philly is outstanding on offense. They do have a lot of, like, rush opportunities, right? Like, that's part of it as well. Uh, Greg Russo is bigger here than uh, than Chop for sure. But, like, you know, Greg's kind of had a, a, a flourishing season and a half, and he's a guy that has some real juice off the edge as well. Um, but you're, it's, it's a fair point. Into, like, Chop going to San Francisco would just break the league. Right, like yeah. he, he just had fifteen. He'd have fifteen sacks to replace Chase Young and just go absolutely nuts. Uh, but I really, I mean, I really, really like the player. Uh, let's wrap up in terms of the top five here with uh, safety. I'm guessing this will be a fairly succinct conversation. But Cooper DeGene, number one, Cameron Kitchens from Miami, number two, Tyler Newbin, Minnesota, Kalen Bullock, USC, and then Javon Bullard from Georgia, one of the playmakers at the bottom, number five. Uh, anything right there that you say to yourself? What are you doing here, Phil? What are you doing? Come on now. Give me the goods. No, I'm just glad you're on team. Cooper DeGene is a safety. I'm trying to get Matt to convert him over from corner to safety just so we can use him more. I know. Why are we going to waste him at corner like Iowa's doing? Let's play him in the slot. Let's play him at corner and let's play him at safety. Yeah, he'll play everywhere. And I was trying to think of like, I think like the floor for, and I, I respect this player a lot. So I hope that people don't take it the wrong way for Cooper DeGene is Mike Hilton from the Bengals, right? Like just plus slot defender. Top five blitzer amongst uh, defensive back, probably like probably top three blitzer amongst defensive backs in the NFL uh, is tough as all get out. Like he can set the edge for you on occasion. Love Mike Hilton. That's the floor. The ceiling is like, I don't even know what the ceiling is for Cooper DeGene. Worth noting, of course, that he recently suffered a, a leg injury that's got him out uh, for the rest of this season. At the time that we're having this conversation, and uh, as you know, college football injury reporting is non-existent and not the NFL is great, but you know, you don't have to say anything about these players. You just have to say they're out or they're in. Um, I know very little about the nature of Cooper DeGene's injury, but so far I haven't heard anything that has indicated, and I could be wrong here, that this is like a full year injury that's going to compromise his ability to be available for the start of training camp or something. If that happened, it obviously changes the complexion a little bit here. But I got to be honest with you, that gap between him and Cam Kitchens, still pretty sizable, Jordan. I, I like Cam a lot, uh, but that just tells you how special Cooper DeGene is. Like, he's he's in the conversation for best defensive players in this class. Yeah, I mean, and then we didn't even mention the fact that he's a great return specialist, too. So that's another feather in his cap that he has on his draft profile. But I love Cooper DeGene. He's one of my favorites in this entire draft class. And I got a chance to see Kitchens against yep. North Carolina this year. He's not... So he doesn't have a lot of length, but and this is a comparison that I kind of use. I don't think he's as good of a hitter. Okay. But do you remember Carl Joseph when he was coming out of West Virginia? He's still, yeah. He's kind of similar. Left and right. 
Yeah, he's kind of similar to Carl Joseph. I don't think he's as violent of a hitter as what Joseph yeah. was, but he's more dependable in pass covers too. And the name of the game is getting turnovers. Like he's an outstanding free safety and he could turn the ball over and get the ball back for you. Um, I think he has over five interceptions this year already. So he's one player that I like a lot, but one player I definitely do want to discuss just because I think there's going to be some discourse as we get close to the draft is Kalen Bullock. I, I, hey, him and Mel, me and Mel and I see this player very differently. Yeah. You, want, you, you start it off and I'll round it out because <laughs> I'm evidently a lot more bullish on Bullock. I, oh, I am too. I just but wasn't a, a huge he's fan a of him. Yeah, he, he's dead. I just wasn't a huge fan of Bullock yeah. on tape. Now, the pass coverage is great. He's an outstanding free safety. I think, I think he has even better movement skills than what Cam Kitchens does. Like the range is great, but when he has to come down and tackle, it, it, he's just really, really slight already as far as his frame. And then he just doesn't bring a lot of um, hitting power behind it as well. So his no, tackle percentages are very low. And then there's situations of where, how can I count on him to be my last line of defense when he's just very inconsistent yeah. with coming downhill? And never, I mean, we don't have to talk about USC's defense. We know they're very bad there. But, and a lot of it isn't his fault. I'm not blaming everything on him. But when he has to come downhill and tackle, he's just very inconsistent with doing that. No question about it. Here are the pluses. Rare range. I mean, we're Absolutely. talking, no one's at Reed, but this guy has got rare range. He's the best center fielder that I've watched so far this season in college football. I mean, like Jesse Bates, Jesse Bates type range. Yeah, and like, I mean, this dude, he's, he's turning the football over. He's getting hands on the ball. He is going to make a play if the ball's thrown in his area. He's instinctive. Like, even if the ball's not thrown in his area, he's going to find a way to it in the back end. Um that takes a very specific type of team that needs that. So, like, the upper-end outcome would be like kind of like Marcus Williams, right? A guy yeah. now in Baltimore who's like a true center fielder, right? Um, but with Bullock, there are going to be teams that are totally turned off from him that might have him safety 10 as opposed to safety 4 like I did. I'm acknowledging that. I just think that in the right spot, that is an insanely, insanely valuable player because he puts – an umbrella on everything for your defense. But he's an ankle biter as a tackler. I mean, he's, I would say, not only like, um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's particularly interested. I mean, uh, you know, I was uh, watching your guy, Kamari Lassiter, uh, recently this, mo- this morning, and uh, like talk about a guy who wants the smoke, right? Physical. Like, yeah. He's coming up there in every play. Even Javon Bullard, I mean, he's like, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. like that's, uh, you know, Bullard has, you know, probably has to be a little more, uh, a little more measured and patient from time to time. He's kind yeah. of a hit or miss player. He's either gonna, you know, come up from twenty yards and and break up a wide receiver screen, or he's gonna come up from twenty yards and run right past the running back who has the ball in open space. Um, but he wants it, right? Bullock doesn't want it. Um, he's he's a uh, he's an ankle biter's tackle right now, but so much range and so gifted in the back end that the right scheme and the right team is gonna fall in love with Kalen Bullock. Yeah, I think you're spot on as far as him being scheme specific. If he can go to a team, particularly that plays cover three or cover one, that just allows him to be a patrol cop that I like to call it on the roof of defense. He'll be just fine. But at some point, you're going to have to come downhill and tackle. That's just the nature of the game. That's just what really worries me about him. No doubt. That's that's by far like there was a time at the beginning of the of, of the process where I'm studying him and a lot of the early reps that I see are just pass coverage stuff. And I'm like, God, this guy, how is this guy not talked about as like a top 25 player in the class? And you watch a little bit more, and some of the signs start to appear that are a little bit disconcerting. But um, I think there are going to be some fans, not in the first round, but maybe closer to the end of round two. Yes. Uh, we have championship weekend upon us. Is there anybody, a player or two, that you're keeping your eye on this weekend that you think has a chance to show you something 
one way or the other. Well, we talked about them both already, and they're matched okay. up against each other. It's Mary's Mims versus Dallas Turner. I yeah. am fascinated by seeing both of these guys. And Turner has kind of really turned it on here as of late, and he's gotten better every single year. I still think he's super raw as a pass rusher. You still like to, like to see him use his hands a little bit more than what he does, but he's been very experimental with his hands and his rush moves this year. And we'll see how much they do end up matching up against each other. But I'm looking forward to seeing that Amarius Mims versus Dallas Turner matchup in the yeah. SEC title game. And, and Chris Braswell, by the way, I was I was Braswell, gonna pick, so I'll, yeah. I'll pivot from here. Uh, but Chris Braswell, who uh, has you know, it's a really he's just like solid, right? Like, um, I, I don't know that there is nearly as much upside. Uh, I mean, there's there's definitely not nearly as much upside as Dallas Turner. But Chris Braswell is going to play in the league for you know six, seven, eight years because he's going to do everything right. He's going to set a nasty edge, right? Like him and Jack Sawyer, are the two guys that like. You probably wish there was a bit more pass rushing acumen. Uh, Jack Sawyer, of course, at Ohio State. We'll see whether he declares or not. But those dudes, like, good luck running against him because they're going to either bring you down or force you back inside, which is an important trait. You can, I can, I can just imagine. I've never heard him speak about him. I bet Nick Saban loves Chris Braswell. I bet he loves oh, him. without question. Right, like he just without does question. all the right things, is constantly in the right spot, doesn't run past the quarterback and allow him to get upfield, but he also isn't going to be a 10-sack guy in the NFL, right? It's going to be like situational sacker. It's going to be a guy who's going to play a ton on rundowns, but this will be a great test on Saturday against Amarius Mims. Uh, Friday night, like, I would just say that any player on defense for Washington or Oregon will have my attention just because the two offenses they are facing are so incredibly ridiculous. I mean, on Washington, it's, uh, you know, Braylon Trice, a guy that I mentioned, I just happen to think the world of, I, I think that um, the testing will really determine where Braylon Trice ends up going in the draft because he's not like a, you know, a twitchy six foot three, 245 pound obvious edge rusher, probably a little heavier powerful than that. Powerful hands, man. But His he's hands powerful. are so powerful, yeah. And I, I don't think anybody likes to hit on every single down as much as Braylon Trice does. He just wants to initiate contact on every play, and if you give him any crack to run through, he's going to run right through you. The sack production doesn't always translate for players in that regard, but the pressure and disruption production, I think, truly does. So can't wait to watch that game on Friday night uh, on the ESPN Airwaves, by the way, on ABC on Friday night. So fired up for that one, probably clinches, or I should say, it will clinch a playoff spot for one of those two teams. I would think that would be a stunner if not, right? I, I, yes. I'm not Heather Dennage, but I'm pretty sure that that would clinch yeah. the, uh, the playoff spot for one of them. Um, I think I survived. I do okay? You can grade it. You can you can be honest. No one's listening now anymore. I did okay? We, you didn't, uh, you didn't oh, want to yeah, me too bad? No, not too bad. I'm not a hard grader, I promise. Oh, man. I was, I was feeling good for myself when you told me you weren't a hard grader. Uh, but if you haven't already, go check out the uh, full list. What comes next uh, from your portfolio? I've got the uh, quarterback hot board, which should be out again sometime soon. Anything else coming down the pike for you? So me, Matt, and then also Steve Munch, we're releasing some players to keep an eye on in the conference okay. title games. So, yep. so that will be out Thursday morning. And then right. – in a couple of weeks, I'll be releasing my top 50 big board, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, wow. really excited. How many quarterbacks in the top 50 right now, assuming Shadour and Carson Beck are not included? Not included. So I have the obvious two at yep. the top. Yep. Um, Jaden Daniels is on there. Yep. Michael Penix is on there. I did Ooh. not. Bo Nix did not make it. So Dude, that's... Oregon fans, don't be too hard on me, but I know, there's, some I know. Th- there's some – that that's an interesting little tier right there. You know, the Penix – 
Knicks, and then also uh, some other, yeah, JJ McCarthy. That yeah. that tier under the top two is really really interesting. We're pressed on time here, but just a reminder, people: more than any position in this in, in sports, quarterback is it's like going to the ice cream shop. What flavor do you prefer the most? Right, like so much of it's going to be the connection you have with JJ or Bo or Michael or any of these guys during the pre-draft process. How do they how do they handle the interviews? How do they handle interactions? How do they handle pressure situations? All those things are so important to the pre-draft process and the evaluation for quarterbacks specifically. Uh, he is Jordan Reed. Go find him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That is Reed, R-E-I-D. He has great information all the time pertaining to the draft. Uh, should be a fun weekend of college football here, Jordan, plus a busy week in college football with the uh, transfer portal uh, flying fast and furious. Thank you for taking it relatively easy on me. And we'll be back on First Draft at some point here in the next couple of weeks.